This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. Now, normally what we do with the interviews is I ask the person to introduce themselves first. But with this one, it's slightly different because Rachel at Madcap said, would I like to talk to you? And I don't know whether what we're going to talk about is stuff that's not been announced before or is in the public domain. So it's also about asking you to introduce yourself, but also to ask you to describe what it is that we're going to talk about as well. Oh, okay. Go for it. All right. Well, thank you for the, the opportunity. I am Mike Hamilton. I'm one of the founding members here at Madcap Software. My official title, I am the Vice President of Product Evangelism, which is a very fancy kind of heady way of saying don't ever let your business partner pick your title when you're away at a conference in England. <laughs> I was originally the vice president of product management, and that made sense for the first two or three years. But as we grew and we added more and more products, mm. we actually had somebody on staff who needed that title. And so I became the vice president of product evangelism. My background, I've been technical writing or the software side of technical writing for probably 80% of my adult career, but my education is of all things in physics. And I found out way back in the 1980s, when you work at a nuclear power plant and you are the one who complains the loudest about how horrible the reactor plant operation manuals are, they now put you in charge of the technical publications library. And that sent me kind of careening off into a whole new career direction before I knew that technical writing was, you know, an actual proper career. So I did kind of come in through the, the side door, as it were. Okay, so that's who I am and a bit of my background. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I am on a bit of a, a razor's edge, as they would say here, because officially, Madcap Software doesn't normally talk about upcoming releases or anything that hasn't already been released into the public domain. However, this is kind of an interesting subject, an interesting topic, and I've already spoken a bit about it in a generic fashion at the TC World Conference that, we, that just happened in India about two weeks ago. And for those who, who follow us, our major trade show over the year, uh, Mad World, is coming up in April. So we're kind of in this, this point of time where we're right on the cusp of the Mad World conference. And while we don't officially announce you know, future releases, anybody who's followed Madcap software for more than about five years, every year, we've had a major release of our flagship software within a week or three of Mad World. So if people were, you know, betting or guessing types, saying that we're on the cusp of a new release would probably be a pretty safe bet. How is that for a non-answer answer? <laughs> <laughs> so officially there is no announcement 
unofficially, since we're already on schedule to talk about this subject matter, it's a pretty safe bet. There's going to be a new release between now and Mad World, and it's a pretty safe bet that micro content will be a core new piece okay. of functionality. I mean, that's not announced by the company yet, but that's a very safe guess. Okay, so it's an intention as much as anything else. Yes. Uh, so let's start with Madcap Flare and what is it? All right. Um, when I'm talking to non-technical writing people, I don't know what content management is. I just describe it as something like Microsoft Word on steroids. The whole idea behind Flare is to keep authoring as easy and simple as possible, yet give us all of the single sourcing, multi-channel publishing capabilities that is required in today's you know, authoring process. Talking to a technical writing audience, I basically say it is content management, but we've made content management affordable and accessible to mere mortals. We don't need the, the full-time programmers on the writing team anymore. So you use Flare to create help for an application, a website, policies, procedures for an organization, that type of thing. Is that fair enough? Absolutely. Um, I think the key distinction, though, is it's anywhere where content reuse is beneficial. So if I have the same content that needs to appear you know, in the website for marketing purposes, in the web knowledge base for customer lookup, in the online help system. We want to push that into a PDF full, you know, user manual. And then in a quick start guide, the more that content reuse comes into play, I think the more important a tool like Madcap Flare becomes. Did that make sense? Yeah, I've just been through editing 40 word documents and copying and pasting the same three paragraphs into every 40 every, all of the 40 documents and if we were able to use flare or doctor help which is another one of your the tools in the madcap family it would have been a lot easier because i could have just written it once and had it single sourced and just placed a snippet or whatever into all exactly. of those 40 documents uh, so micro content this what is micro content all right this is a bit of a can of worms because the industry doesn't really have a single proper definition at least in my opinion um probably the closest or the or that we came to a proper definition or the person who gets credit for the proper definition is a, a gentleman by the name of jacob nielsen and it's not that he invented the idea. It's just way back in the late 1990s, I think he was one of the first people to recognize it as a thing and put a label on it as, hey, this is going to become important. Mm -hmm. Now, the way that Jacob referred to it is he talked about it as short, reusable, very succinct content like headlines, uh, synopsis paragraphs and for the 1990s he was pretty spot on what his crystal ball didn't really show though is that micro content as a thing has kind of morphed into multiple things so that's why i say it's a bit tricky to define that term alone 
has come to mean different things for different people. Um, for a technical writer, it might have one meaning. For a marketing manager who specializes in uh, social media, it might have a different meaning. I've been doing a lot of research in the area over the last year and a half or so. And now this is not an official definition, but it's one I've pieced together. I've basically stolen bits from about 10 other definitions people have attempted. And to really simplify, to define micro content, you almost have to define a micro moment. And what a micro moment is, is just one of those dozens of small decisions that we all have to make every day. Something, something as trivial as, I'm gonna go to the market, should I wear my jacket? Well, in the old days, that might have taken a bit of work, but today I can just pick up my smartphone, look at the cover screen, and there's a little widget there. It has a little picture of a sun, and it tells me the temperature. And I can say, ah, oh, no, I don't need my jacket. Hmm. Well, me making that decision was a micro moment. I made that decision based on the micro content that's being displayed on my phone. I was just going to say, so it's assisting you people doing stuff without interrupting them or getting in the way of them actually doing the thing they want to do. Exactly. So anything that solves a micro moment to me would be micro content. How is micro content delivered in ways that technical authors or people within the software environment might see it? Okay, well, I'll go back to my silly phone example. Even just a few years ago, to decide if I wanted to wear a jacket or not, I might have to go in my home office, boot up my computer, launch a web browser, go to a weather site, find my city and okay finally i have my information but that's a lot of work so that's kind of what micro content does how can we get that person that information as quickly with as little work as possible and so now fast forward till today you know my samsung phone has a little widget and the neat thing is nobody writes that weather content for my Samsung phone. It's going to that website for me and they've just structured that website in a way that certain key pieces of information on that website, you know, is it going to be sunny all day? What is the temperature? Basically those two bits get scraped and displayed on my phone now. So it's still using the same content I would have found going the long form method it's just shortcutting me having to boot the computer, launch a web browser. That's another kind of key principle about micro content. How do we make it as trivially easy for the consumer to get that content as possible? So that's kind of theoretical. For more of a practical example, if you look at Google these days, even Google has recognized, what if we can get people the information they need with fewer clicks? So it used to be you would do, you know, bring up a browser, do a web search, you know, how silly example, but how to tie my shoes. And you get a list of, of web hits. And now you have to try and figure out what is a valid link to click on. 
Then you open it and you go find the content. And then you have to decide, does this content meet my needs? Well, for the last year or two, actually a little longer than that, Google has created a second algorithm. So they have one algorithm that does the search rankings, but they have a second algorithm that says, okay, of those in the top 10, which one has the best micro content? So now when I do the search, how do I tie my shoes up above the search rankings? There might be a little snippet of content that says, you know, step one, put shoes on feet. Step two, you know, put laces in right and left hand. Step, I get like six kind of micro steps. Here's how to tie my shoes. That might be all the content I need. I might not even need to click a web link now. So basically, the folks at Google have realized, if we've already done the search, what if we give you the relevant content? Now, that's the end user experience. What a lot of people don't realize, what Google gets credit for is not writing that content, but writing the algorithm that extracts that content. If you actually do that web search, how to tie my shoes, you'll find that that little snippet at the top of the Google search, believe it or not, does not come from the first rank link or even the second. It's like way down number five. But that second Google algorithm has figured out that while yes, these rank one way for search rankings, it's the number five website that has done the best job of defining those steps in a micro content fashion and those get extracted and placed on top of the search results. So I realized that was a really long answer, but hopefully that's something more real world and concrete. Again, it's both packaging content so it's quick and easy to consume, but then also if it's packaged correctly, then even third party devices, like in this case, a Google search can display that content without even having to go to the main web page. It's things like the summaries where if you type a, a football result in, you'll get the score straight from Google or a recipe or how to do your shoelaces. Is micro content used in other situations outside of search? It's used in a lot of situations. Probably the two most well-known are for search results. And then also a little bit more work but in the artificial intelligence, question response, chatbot type of world. If you've used any type of customer care site these days, whether you realize it or not, quite often you're just typing with a computer and the computer is feeding you kind of pre-written answers. It's rather well known as a use case of my content but it's kind of a completely separate use case than the search analysis that we discussed a minute ago. And again, that's why I said it's kind of hard to come up with a definition because it means a little bit different things to different people. Can you tell me more about how we're likely to see the ability to create micro content in Flare? Will it involve people just happy writing, having to learn how to, to use XML or JSON? Is it going to get very technical or is it is it still going to be Flare in the way that people are used to using Flare? You, you just write and the complicated stuff is, is behind the scenes. 
again, I'm such a horrible person to interview because the answer is both. A lot of it depends on how deeply you want to go into the technology. At the highest level, if I just want to emulate those Google search results where I decide, okay, this is the best content to display above my search results, that we will be able to do in Flare without having any XML knowledge, just using our established existing editor. Now, if you want to go all the way into things like chatbots and supporting a dialogue question and answer pairs, we will also be able to do that mm -hmm. in Flare. We will be able to create those question and answer pairs mm -hmm. without ever having to see any XML code. Where that gets a little bit trickier, though, right. writing the question and answer pairs is only half of the solution. You would still need some developer staff to actually implement the chat bot itself, which would then consume the question and answer pairs that were authored in Flare. So there's a couple of things from that. One is that an implication from that is even if you as a technical author don't know what micro content is you'll be able to go in and create something that will be useful to your end users without necessarily having to make a huge jump from what your existing knowledge is you can there'll be a place where you can make search better than it is today oh absolutely in fact i would even go a step further mm -hmm. a lot of people probably already have a lot of really good micro content in their flare projects in the form of snippet files that's almost now i'm gonna this is a a gross oversimplification so for those who are hardcore they're already working in micro content my apologies but you can almost think of snippets those are reusable fragments of content designed to be used inside of the Flare publishing system. Micro content are reusable fragments that could potentially be used even outside of the Flare publishing system. It's, it's kind of making your private snippets public for other devices to use. So if you've got a definition of what is a widget already written in Flare, will you be able to then make that content available as micro content for reuse in a chatbot without having to rewrite what the widget is? Can you, can you take what you've written already and then repurpose it for micro content for chatbots? Absolutely. For search? I would simply highlight the text of that definition, right click on it, mm -hmm. and there's a right click entry, create micro content. That's as technical as it would get. Well, and in fact, for, for the seasoned Flare users, I'll kind of give you a peek behind the scenes. That's actually what we've done in a lot of our own Flare projects that you're going to be seeing in our own documentation. In many cases, we already had some really good snippets in use. So the topic already had a paragraph that was highlighted and converted to a snippet. So now with this release, our authors went into the snippets, highlighted that text again, 
and had it create micro content. So now the exact same, like you say, two paragraph definition, it's now being used both as a snippet for our internal use if we want to create a PDF, or, but it's also used to modify search results if we're using an external search, such as Elasticsearch or, or even our own internal search. So you can stack these technologies together and they will still work. All Now, here's where it becomes a bit of a brain melter. We can even put conditions and variables inside the micro content, at least at the authoring level. So if you've got people where information changes, if they're a professional user or a light user, or if they're in the UK and in the US and you change the word, so it says postage and packing for the UK and it says shipping and handling, I guess, for the States, then that will also, those changes will also appear in your micro content, in your chat responses or your search results. Is that, is that exactly exactly so one of the challenges with with chatbots for technical authors is there's a couple of things one is that it generally means another source of content you've got to write the questions you've got to write the answers and they sit in their own little world completely separate from whichever tool you're using for creating the content and the other thing it's often using technology that is unfamiliar for technical writers for technical authors i can see an opportunity in that in that People can go to the team and say, oh, you're interested in the chat, but well, I've got all this content that you can use. All you need to do is connect it to the technology that will do the natural language searching, but I've got the repository of all the answers to all the questions that people have. Now, when I um, saw the demo back in December, the focus was primarily on search at this first step, the sort of baby step to get people familiar with it. Is that still the plan for this release or, or are there opportunities to dive into to chatbots as well? Or is that, as it were, a phase two thing once people are, are familiar with it? No, the chatbot functionality will be phase one as well. Mm -hmm. um, now, to kind of paint a verbal picture, what you can expect to see in the upcoming flare, imagine a two-part editor, left column, you can put in the question, right column, you see a pretty standard flare editor. Mm -hmm. So there's really two different ways this can be approached. As you say, traditionally, chat bots were fed just from a unique writing process. We don't recommend that, but it will work that way. You can actually open this new editor in flare and just author question response question response mm -hmm. now previously i mentioned kind of doing it more of a snippetized method where i could just go into an existing topic highlight some content and tell flare create micro content mm -hmm. well there's a bit of you know xml slate of hand behind the scenes when i do that it auto populates that question and answer panel in flare and just automates the creation. So regardless of whether I'm typing into that question and answer screen or I'm using the more automated kind of snippet method, it still ends up writing the same micro content files in the background. And that's where I'll go a little bit more technical for a moment. What actually gets saved as files? 
Well, it's a two-part system. The questions, those actually get saved as a rather generic XML file, which anybody can open with a copy of Notepad. That will contain all of the questions, but then each of those questions will then link to an individual HTML5 file. And those would be the answers, preferably updated from the topics themselves, if you're doing it kind of that snippet technique. Can you write lots of different questions or different ways of asking similar questions and have it point at the same stock answer? Or do you need to have an individual answer for each individual question in the different ways that somebody might ask it? Nope, you can have multiple questions all pointing to the same response that I believe when you saw it in December, that was not available, but that is available now. And in fact, when you create a bit of micro content, if, if you decide, okay, this topic, you know, is, is 200 paragraphs long, but I want to highlight this summary topic at the very, the summary paragraph at the very top. I want that summary paragraph to be the micro content for this entire topic. You highlight that, you tell it make micro content. Part of that process is it says, okay, what should be the request be? You'll type something in and it will be added. So at the moment you create it, there's the request and the response, you only get one request. But then if you open that two panel view that I mentioned earlier, then you can go in and add multiple requests, multiple questions that also support that same bit of micro content that we lifted from that summary paragraph. Did that make sense? That did, yes. So that's what's happening within Flare. In terms of what's given to the search and given to somebody that might be building a chatbot, with the search, it's already there for somebody who's using Elasticsearch or it's already there if you're using the built-in search that comes with Flare with, with the web-based content. What gets given to somebody that might be wanting to build a chatbot? Do they get given HTML or XML or, or a variety of different options? That was one of the tricky bits we had to mm. figure out. The problem is I've lost count. I believe if you do the research, there are something like 26 different active chatbots in use as far as like completed available code you can put your hands on. Some of those are open yeah. source, some of those are proprietary and for purchase, but almost all of them use a separate proprietary syntax and language. Now, one of the first thought we might do one of the very first chatbots out there, they formalized an XML syntax, an XML language that they called AML, yeah. the artificial intelligence markup language. One of our first things we were going to do is let's just produce AML files. But then after doing some interviews with some people actively in the industry, you know, who are on the cutting edge and then talking to some of our existing customers, well, it turns out those who were using that language were already looking to replace it with something new anyways. 
or if people were brand new into the industry, they wanted to use a newer chatbot than that older technology. So that plan got scrapped. And so what we came up with, if we write the questions just as the simplest XML that we can, and then we write the responses as just straight up HTML5, that's probably the easiest format for the developers to just transform to the syntax that they need. Because if the developers are smart enough to you know, pull off an entire chatbot system, well, transforming some raw XML and HTML5 should be trivially easy. So that is the path that we took, but that does mean that to be able to feed a chatbot, there would be need to be a transformation step written one time. In Flare, there's a spell checker. Mm -hmm. I think there's mm -hmm. a thesaurus as well, if I remember correctly. There's uh, analytics tools to tell you where you to help you write in a better way as well. Is all of that functionality going to work on the content you're writing in the editing environment for uh, for um, the micro content? The spell check, definitely yes. The thesaurus. Definitely, yes. As far as the analysis of like reading comprehension and grade level, I'll put a maybe on that one. If you're sourcing the content from an existing topic, well, then absolutely, because those tools were available on the original topic. I'm going by memory here, but from inside that dual pane editor, I'm not sure if I could use the analytics on those little segments of text. That's the only one I'm not sure about. Right. There's a good chance it does work. It's just not something I personally have tried. So I'm not going to promise that here you know, on a live podcast. That's, that's fine. I mean, most, most of the time that I've seen the analytics side of Flare used is to track uh, links that are going to topics that have been deleted or, or need to be fixed. So, um, and that's going to be less relevant in this particular situation, but it's, it's more things like spell checking and the thesaurus and the readability and variables as well. You mentioned, I think you mentioned conditions. You mentioned variables as well. If you've got brand names that change and you just want to flip them out between one and the other, the way that you use variables for that, that you can insert variables into these, into these micro content sections. Yes. Oh, and then for those who have used Flare in the past, if you're familiar with our spell check interface, we can do a global project level spell check, or then you can facet it with a filter and say, well, no, only check topics, only check snippets. There's even a new filter, just spell check micro content. Oh, okay. So that way you don't have to do a whole big pass. You literally can just spell check the micro content in one sitting if you want to. Madcap also has the cloud-based management system and way of reviewing and editing. It's the, it's the Madcap authoring and management right. system just released earlier this year. So if you want to write the content and then get, say, a developer to review the content or a subject matter expert, does that functionality also extend into the reviewing capabilities of of AMS as well? If the content you're using for micro content originated from an existing topic, mm -hmm. 
that would that review process would be covered if the micro content was written just freehand in that question response editor mm -hmm. then that isn't quite ready for the review process in the ams in the cloud system yet in the uh, officially the contributor system as of today central has a built-in just browser-based review and um, acceptance process for written topic-based content, for micro-content, it would simply be reviewed as part of the reviewing of the source topic. So when it comes to how this content looks in the search results, what can you do to control how it looks? Is, what capabilities do you have there, if any? Uh, this is going to be a bit different than what you saw in December. A lot of this came from the, the beta community feedback it also came from our own technical writing department feedback. Our developers love them. They decided that it was kind of a one size fits all world and they gave us a fixed size panel. That didn't work. So we also have gone in and developed some new skin functionality. So from an author's perspective, you determine, okay, what is the size of that snippet box above the search results. This also would be nice if you're targeting a known audience and they're not on high definition monitors, you know, if they're on smaller tablets, you might want to reduce the size of that snippet box so it doesn't overwhelm, you know, that tablet screen. You also have the option to have a drop down widget as well. So Maybe most of your snippets will fit in a panel that's 400 pixels tall, but occasionally one doesn't fit. Well, you can have it automatically have a little drop down widget, a little drop arrow that will expand the size of that snippet box. So I believe when you saw it in December, it was just kind of a one size fits all. Hey, here's the snippet box above search you now have a lot more control. You can change its background color so it's different shading than the rest of the search results page. You can put a colored border around it to match your company branding. A lot more went into the, the presentation of that micro content. Mm -hmm. And are you only limited to having text in that micro content or could you put in uh, images or animated GIFs to sort of show the walkthrough of, of different steps in your describing? I know that text works. I know that static graphs work, your PNGs, your GIFs. Mm -hmm. I have seen an animated GIF work. I do apologize. I should have checked this before our pot. I have not tried any live video, but that, that would be a bit. Well, I meant more the animated GIF I meant more the animated GIF type of, of thing, because again, you're looking at, as you say, micro moments of something that's very quick rather than a full length video. Yeah. Yeah, video would be probably heavy for that. But yes, animated GIFs should work. Using it to improve the search, using it to, um, to give the capability of using that content in a, in a chat bot. Where else do you see its use or the, the opportunity to use this micro content elsewhere in the future? I think that is where actually more promise even lies. I think that's one of the reasons there's so much buzz about micro content as a concept. Mm -hmm. 
normally when something new gets added to a piece of software, it's pretty much, okay, what do you see? Well, that's all it does. Hmm. Right now with micro content, right out of the box, we can make search better. And it's very easy to transform into feeding these chat bots. So right away, that's some new functionality. But I think the really powerful bit is when you think of all of the assistive devices these days. You know, I mentioned my Samsung phone and the little widgets built into its home screen. You think about Alexa-type devices, Bixby devices, Cortana devices. Nobody programs these things to really talk the way they do. They're just reading micro-content that they are scraping from other sources of information. Um, and in fact, I, I mentioned that big conference I just came back from in India. I was actually surprised how many authors were fearful of things like chatbots because they're going to take technical writing jobs. And I had to explain to these people, these chatbots aren't that smart. <laughs> Somebody has to write the text that becomes the brain of that chatbot system. So we may not be writing topics per se. We might be writing um, dialogues now instead, but somebody still has to do that writing. And I guess I'm getting long-winded here. I'm kind of more excited about the whole Internet of Things possibility. Imagine being able to write content where you can identify the most critical bits and then any other system in the world, if your content is public, it's able to scrape those bits and use them in new ways. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there that we haven't even seen yet. But that's also, you have to be careful. I'm kind of the crazy mad scientist one inside the company as well. I think one of the buzzwords that I've come across recently is synthetic content. So you're taking bits of information from a repository and then building a page with the answer that somebody wants, synthesizing it. And um, this gives you the opportunity to keep everything in one place, alter it well, and then leave it to developers to take that content and, and publish it in different formats, shapes, Absolutely. and sizes, in different situations. I had a question about when we're likely to see it, and it's you've answered that. That will be in April. April or sooner. Or but sooner, right. And also, if um, they want to see you at the Madwell Conference in San Diego in April, so you present on this, there's still spaces left we still have i believe that hotels are getting a little bit tight but are still possible mm -hmm. and i think we have a few dozen seats left to sell so there is oh, okay. it's still possible to get in i'm actually doing this subject twice once i'm doing as a live presentation where i'm covering much of what we talked about here but in a much mm -hmm. kind of a deeper level with some actual live examples but then I'm also doing a workshop. Now that's gonna be more uh, limited to certain folks, but if people wanted to bring their laptop, bring their actual existing project, we're gonna do a workshop where we create some micro content live right there in the room for those so, that want that deeper dive. And again, I don't wanna over speak. This is not an official bit of functionality but one of the things I think has a lot of potential is using micro content for 
things like context-sensitive help and embedded help in a simpler, easier way than we've done it in the past. Nothing in this upcoming release to make that easier, but that might be one of those phase two type items we talked about earlier. Because the whole idea of micro content is content that is easy to repurpose. So things like tool tips, you know, any of that little dynamic text just lends itself to micro content. Well, we've done a podcast on micro content on the Trade League podcast before. And one of the topics we've discussed is how is the situation where help has moved into the user interface. So next to a field, there might be a little bit of information that tells you how to fill in that, that field or that, that aspect. And at the moment, one of the challenges is that that functionality isn't within the authoring tools that's done separately. It's done within the development environment of the application itself, for example, or other situations. So this is one area where we've talked about the potential for using micro content in the future. So it's interesting to see that that, that may be another application for this at, at some point in, in the future. I shall say thank you, Mike. And if people want to know more about Flare or if they want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Probably the best way is just to reach out to our website. Um, if you're more interested in product information, if you're more interested in just learning more about the AMS, the authoring and management system, Everything is listed up on the website. Normally, I would be happy to give out my direct contact information, but I'm about to go into my North American springtime tunnel where I'm doing training class, mm -hmm. trade show, training class, training class, trade. So I'm going to be a bit out of pocket for the next, yeah, probably eight to 10 weeks or so. So the best bat route is just probably going through the, the website and reaching out to support or reaching out to customer care. And the website's madcapsoftware.com, if I remember correctly. Correct, sir. Mike, thank you for that. That was really interesting. My pleasure, and thank you for having me.